Good evening, and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, December 30th, 2021. And it is a tremendous privilege and a pleasure to be with you tonight, to have the opportunity that we have to study Torah together. And I'm grateful to every one of you for joining. And we're going to have, hopefully, a challenging and intellectually stimulating and spiritually uplifting time together. The Rav, Rav Soloveitchik, a blessed memory, often said that we must study the Siddur, the prayer book, like a Gemara, like a passage in the Talmud. It has to be studied with the same depth and precision and insight like a complicated passage in the Talmud because every word of our prayers is written with precision and deep meaning and important lessons are conveyed often in a very subtle manner, easily missed, usually missed. And that's why it's so important to study the prayers carefully in advance. So when we pray them, we can gain spiritually as much as possible from every word of the prayers. Tonight, I want to share a perfect example of this. This year, the Jewish calendar is a leap year, a Jewish leap year. This coming Monday is Rosh Chodesh Shvat, the beginning of the month of Shvat. Shvat, then the next month is Adar Rishon, the first Adar, because this year there is a second Adar, Adar Sheni, a second month of Adar. And then comes Nisan, the month during which Pesach occurs. So by adding this extra month of Adar Sheni, the second Adar, that's going to push, push Pesach back till April 16th. And the reason for that is, since the lunar calendar that we follow is 11 days shorter than the solar year, about every three years we add a month, Adar Sheni, second Adar, because otherwise Pesach would be too early. It would be in the winter. And the Torah tells us Pesach must be in the spring. One of the names of Pesach in the Torah is Chag Ha'aviv, the holiday of spring. It must occur in the spring. So, Monday, this Monday, is Rosh Chodesh Shvat, the first day of the Jewish month of Shvat. And on every Rosh Chodesh, we say special prayers. We say, for example, Musaf, the Musaf prayer, a special Amidah, for Rosh Chodesh. And that prayer includes the following paragraph. Our God and the God of our ancestors, inaugurate for us, renew for us this coming month, for good and for blessing, for joy, 
how much we need this, especially this month, and for salvation, and for sustenance, and for life, and for peace, and for forgiveness of sins, and for the pardon of iniquity. So those words we say every single month, every single year, because among the various things we're asking God for for this year, a good health and joy and, and peace and life, we're also asking for the forgiveness of any sins that we may commit. So every month, every year, on Rosh Kodesh, we pray for Mechilas Chet Ulislichas Avon, which there's a slight difference in, in um, uh, the shade of meaning, but basically we're asking for forgiveness. But during a leap year, we add two words, Ulechaporas Posha, and the pardon, the atonement for willful sins. Very strange. An extra two words asking for forgiveness for any sins we may commit. Though we already said four words. We already said which means forgiving sins. Basically means forgiving sins. So we already said it twice. And now we're saying it a third time. Two extra words. For some reason, this year, a Jewish leap year, we need to ask more for forgiveness. Two words more. These two words, not only that, but our practice is that we only add these two extra words during a leap year, like this year, and only on the Rosh Chodesh of the months of Cheshvan, Kislev, Teves, Shvat, Adar, first Adar, Adarishan, and Adar Sheni, second Adar. In other words, we only add these two words to the Rosh Chodesh prayer in between Rosh Hashanah and Pesach. So starting the month after Rosh Hashanah, which is Cheshvan, and ending the month before Pesach, which is Adar Sheni, the second Adar, because Pesach itself is in the month of Nisan. So in those several months, we add these two words to our Rosh Chodesh prayer, and then starting Nisan for the rest of this year, even though it's a leap year, we revert to the regular formula, omitting these two extra words until the next leap year, which is going to be in about three years from now. So two obvious questions. Number one, why add just two words only on the Rosh Chodesh of a leap year and not any other year? And number two, why only these specific months from Cheshvan through Adarsheni? That's a total of eight or nine times that we add two words about every three years.
two words. It's very easy to miss. What does it mean? Why is there a need for slightly more forgiveness specifically in these months? So, some scholars say it's because a Jewish leap year has 13 lunar months instead of the normal 12, which means the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is one month further away than it normally would be, which means, just speaking statistically, it's possible that we might have more sins to confess when Yom Kippur comes since it will be covering the previous 13 months, not the normal 12. So, it's better to do it on the installment plan and add our request for forgiveness monthly so that the year-end total is not so high. Okay, it makes sense. But it doesn't explain why only these months and not the entire year of Rosh Chodesh. I thought of a different answer. My answer is, today we have a Jewish calendar, so we know in advance that roughly every three years, when a Jewish leap year will occur. So there are no surprises. But in former times, every year, the greatest sages of Israel, the Sanhedrin Hagadol, the great court of 70 judges, the greatest scholars of Israel, would gather to decide, will Pesach this year be in the spring? Or will it be too early and require adding a month to push it back? Now, making this decision every year was an awesome responsibility. Because so much of Jewish life depends on this and it affects every single Jew in the world. When will Pesach be? And Shavuos? And the rest of the, the, the calendar going forward. So the Dayanim, the judges who were charged with the responsibility of making this decision, they prayed extra prayers to be worthy in God's eyes, of making this decision and of deciding correctly. Now, the time to deliberate this question started after Rosh Hashanah and had to be concluded before Nisan because the only way to push Pesach back is by adding a second month of Adar. That's the only way to keep Pesach in the springtime. There's no other method. So once Nisan begins, it's already too late to add a second Adar, and therefore it had to be decided before Nisan began. So 
during these months on the Rosh Chodesh of Cheshvan, Kislev, Teves, Shvat, and Adar, the Dayanim who were in the process of deciding this weighty issue would add these two words to their Rosh Chodesh prayers, praying extra for forgiveness in order to be worthy of the heavy responsibility to make this decision. And we, although we have a calendar so that we know this in advance, but we continue this practice to remember that process of how it used to be done. And that's why these two words are added only in a leap year and only during these months. Okay, that's my answer. That's my idea. You can agree with it. You can disagree with it. But what I want to share with you tonight is another answer, a profound approach to this question, which has so much to teach us and to incorporate into our religious lives every single day. Now, the answer that I want to share with you is from Rabbi Yitzhak Hutner of Blessed Memory, and it is based on the commentary of a sefer, an author, Margolius Hayam, which is a commentary to the Talmud Sanhedrin. One of the most tragic missed opportunities in all of Jewish history occurred during the life of King Chizkiyahu, Chizkiyahu HaMelech. Chizkiyahu was the king of Israel around 580 before the Common Era, which is about 140 years before the destruction of the first temple, the first base of Medush. Now, 200 years before him, before Chizkiyahu, about 200 years earlier, after the reign of King David, David HaMelech, and King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, there was a civil war. And Israel, the Jewish people, was split into two kingdoms. Malchus Yehuda, the kingdom of Judah, was the kingdom in the south that included Yerushalayim. And that kingdom was comprised mainly of two tribes, the tribe of Yehuda and the tribe of Binyamin. And this kingdom in the south included Jerusalem, which of course is where the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple in Yerushalayim was located, obviously. In general, this southern kingdom of Yehuda was more committed to Torah, to serving God. Malchus Yisrael, the kingdom of Israel, was in the north. And that was comprised of the remaining ten tribes. They were separated from Jerusalem. And in general, the northern kingdom 
was less committed to Torah, less loyal to God, more likely to engage in idolatry, worshiping idols. It was a terrible state of affairs. And the enmity between Jews paralleled their spiritual decline. The great gathering of Aliyah Laregel, the mitzvah that every year for the three festivals of Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos, every Jew would travel and celebrate the Yom Tov together in Yerushalayim with Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, and the Holy Temple, the Beis Hamikdash, and serving God literally unifying the entire Jewish people. That wondrous event, three times every year that occurred for centuries, was halted when this civil war broke out, as the kings of the north would not allow their citizens to travel south to Jerusalem in order to maintain the integrity of their separation from the south in order to maintain their hold over their people. In fact, the kings in the north erected substitutes for the Beit HaMikdash, but idolatrous temples in the north and encouraged people to come there to worship instead of allowing them to go to Yerushalayim to serve God. Chizkiyahu was the king of Yehuda, the southern kingdom for 29 years. His father, Ahaz, was a Russia. He was a wicked king. He worshipped idols that also sometimes happened in the southern kingdom, not as much as in the northern kingdom, but it did happen. Ahaz worshipped idols, led people away from God, but Chizkiyahu was different than his father. Chizkiyahu was a righteous person. He was a good person. He was a good king. He served God. He wanted to do the right thing. But sometimes, good is the enemy of great. Now, this part of the narrative comes from Divrei Hayamim, the book of Chronicles. Chizkiyo had a dream, a vision, to repair the terrible breach that existed within the Jewish people. And his dream, his plan was to revive Aliyah Laregel, to invite every Jewish man, woman, and child from all across 
Israel, north and south, to come to Yerushalayim to celebrate Pesach together. As had been done for centuries, and this would have reunited the Jewish people for the first time since Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon. This was, in fact, the only overture in 200 years to try to repair the rift between North and South. The Malbim, one of our classic Torah commentators, writes that such an effort could have created a level of Jewish unity and spiritual renaissance that could have led to the Beis Amigdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, being permanent, never being destroyed, ushering in Yemos HaMashiach, the Messianic Era, 580 years before the Common Era, Mashiach. And the Talmud says that Chizkiyahu himself could have been Mashiach. He was worthy to be the Messiah. Imagine. No Chorban, no destruction of the Temple, no Tisha B'Av, no exile, no expulsion from Spain, no Holocaust, no assimilation. And here's the kicker. The king in the north at that time, Hosea, the son of Ela, Hosea ben Ela, he would have allowed it. He agreed to the plan. It could have happened. We were so close to drastically changing the arc of Jewish history. Just try to imagine that. It's overwhelming. So the Navi, the prophet, tells us in Divrei Yamim, the book of Chronicles, the messengers were sent from town to town, from city to city. Be'eretz Ephraim and Menashe, Adzvulin, all the way from the south, all the way to the north. You have to publicize this. You have to let everybody know they're invited. We're doing this amazing thing. It hasn't been done in 200 years. It's going to change Jewish history. You have to come. Messengers were sent. V'hayu maschikim alehem. But there were people that laughed at them. Umaligim bum. And made fun of them. Joked about it. As a particularly cynical and combative person I used to know often said, peace is for babies. Some came, most did not. And the Malbim writes that when that happened, God's decree 
of the eventual destruction of the temple and the exile of the Jewish people and everything else that happened as a result, that decree was signed. Hosea ben Ela, the king of the northern kingdom at that time, he was the last king of the northern kingdom because shortly after this happened, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom were exiled by Sancheriv. We refer to them as the ten lost tribes. That entire northern kingdom, ten of the twelve tribes, was lost to the Jewish people forever until today. And in the south, Yerushalayim inexorably declined spiritually until 140 years later, the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, was destroyed. The remaining Jews were exiled to Babylonia, to Bavel. And here we are. But we were so close to changing the course of Jewish history to changing everything that Judaism means and does for the world and for every one of us. Imagine if it had worked. Why? Why didn't it happen? So the Talmud suggests that the plan had one flaw. There was one detail of the plan that was flawed, and the Chachamim, the rabbis, the scholars, the sages, at that time told Chizkiyahu, the king, don't do it. Great idea, but don't do it. He did it anyway, and it failed. Here's what happened. Back to Divrei Hayamim, quoting from the Book of Chronicles. Vayivoat hamelech v'sarav v'chol hakahol b'Yerushalayim la'asos hapesach b'chodesh hasheni. The king and his advisors and the population of Jerusalem all advised add an extra month. In other words, to add an Adar Sheni, a second Adar, to make that year a leap year, like this year is a leap year. Not because it was, Pesach would have been too early because of the climate, but rather, because they were not ready to carry off this gigantic event at the correct time, ki hakohanim lohis kadoshu lamadai. The kohanim didn't hadn't finished their preparations of the base of Midrash. Imagine for the first time in two hundred years, the 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 throngs and the crowds would be uh, a, a great multiple greater than it had been for two hundred years. There's preparations they had to do, and they weren't ready. 
And there was not enough time for everybody to gather in Jerusalem. They were traveling and it took them longer. And they, it was just a few days before Pesach. They realized they weren't ready. They needed to delay. It could work. It could work with just a little bit more time to prepare. It was a massive undertaking. Hadn't happened in Yerushalayim in 200 years. And they realized just a few days before it was supposed to begin that either they had to delay it or it wouldn't happen at all. They wouldn't be able to pull it off. And this historic opportunity would be lost forever. So it seemed like a great idea. Add an extra month. Make Pesach a month later. You'll have time to finish the preparations. It seemed like a great idea to Chizkiyo and his advisors and the people. The idea was popular and it would work. And it's the only way it would work. But the problem was, there was a halachic issue with this plan. And that is, we can only proclaim an extra month of Adar, a second Adar, to push Pesach back, only up until the end of the first Adar. Once Nisan starts, once the next month begins, the month in which Pesach occurs, then we're not allowed to delay Pesach. And it was already Nisan. It was too late, according to the details of Jewish law, to add the extra month. And the Chachamim, the sages, told Chizkiyo, don't do it. You're not allowed to do it. You can't change the date of Pesach like that, no matter how noble your intentions. But Chizkiyahu confused the ends with the means. He thought the ends, this magnificent historic achievement, justified the means of violating Jewish law to get it done. In other words, he substituted his judgment for the judgment of Jewish law. And after all, it wasn't selfish. His motive was pure. It was to unite the Jewish people. He didn't want his magnificent plan to stumble on a halachic technicality. So he did not listen to the sages. He went ahead and his plan failed. And with it, his legacy failed and everything fell apart, including Chizkiyo's chance to be Mashiach, the Messiah. Because he was wrong.
The ends do not justify the means. Martin Luther King said, You can't reach good ends through evil means because the means represent the seed and the ends represent the tree. So, Chizkiyahu failed. And he realized that he had failed. He realized that he had sinned. And so he prayed to God for forgiveness. And the Pasuk, the verse in Divrei Hayamim records his prayer asking God for forgiveness. He said, Hashem Hatov, the good God, Yechaper Ba'ad, pardon my sin. He asked God for forgiveness. Yechaper Ba'ad. Understanding Chizkiyot's mistake is so important and practical for us because all these years later, it is so common today for religious Jews to assume, I can decide what's right. I can decide how God wants to be served. So what if the rabbis or the Shulchan Aruch or the Code of Jewish Law say that that's not correct, that that's not permissible? I feel that it's right. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough if my intention is noble? I want to do it my way. Why shouldn't I be able to do it my way? There are so many examples of this in every area of Jewish life. I will just mention one that is weighing on me terribly today. It's just today's issue for me. Jewish learning, Jewish education, studying Torah is crucial for every Jew. Attending Jewish school is a primary way that our children and our grandchildren become the next link in the transmission of Judaism. Nothing is more important except when it's dangerous and the government reluctantly closes schools for a short time while COVID is raging. Now let's understand this is not some evil decree against the Torah because our children can continue to learn Torah in other ways. Less ideal on Zoom, in smaller, safer groups, most of the Jewish world, again, reluctantly, less than ideal, but most of the Jewish world has been extremely creative in continuing Jewish education safely 
during COVID. So when certain religious schools in Montreal stay open and claim the decree to close school will destroy Judaism, they are simply being hysterical and lacking will and creativity to solve the problem. But worse than that, they are putting their teachers at risk, their staff at risk, their students at risk, and the students' parents and grandparents at even greater risk. Tragically, the highest number of deaths and serious COVID come from these communities that violate health precautions. They are violating the well-established principle in Jewish law of Dina de Malchusa Dina, the law of the land is a religious obligation for Jews to follow since the government has clear responsibility to legislate health precautions. And they're remaining open, for example, last week when the government ordered all schools to be closed and these schools remained open also leads to Chilul Hashem, desecration of God's name, one of the most serious sins in all of Judaism. So many people have said to me since this began, how is it possible that so-called religious Jews flout the precautions, don't take safety measures, violate the rules? And I'll tell you something else, and I say this with certainty. Many of the officials and experts in public health and others know that these schools representing themselves as religious Jewish schools cannot be trusted to protect their students because they don't. Now, at least this last point of Chilul Hashem, desecrating God's name, being concerned that others will learn about this, is recognized by these schools. So, on the day last week, when the government took the extraordinary step of closing all schools due to the raging COVID problem, one school here in Montreal had a sign on its door that said, closed due to COVID regulations. Curiously, all of the windows were covered so no one could see in. And the students were told by the school 
to use a side entrance so no one would know that the school was continuing its operation. Of course, everyone knew. A second school told its students, when you walk to school, don't bring a backpack so it will not be obvious that you're actually attending school in violation of Quebec law and Jewish law. But the worst part of this is what these schools are teaching their students to lie, to mislead, to make up your own priorities in violation of Jewish law. The leaders and supporters of these schools here in Montreal and elsewhere must be condemned for the physical health damage they are inflicting on their community. And of course, that overlaps with our community. For the damage to the image of Jews in the wider community and for teaching our children to lie and cheat. What value is there in Torah study when it is based on lying and cheating and breaking legitimate secular laws and the highest priority of Jewish law? They are following precisely in Chizkiyahu's misguided path. And that's why, according to Rabbi Hutner, we paraphrase Chizkiyahu's words and we make them our own. Chizkiyahu said, Ba'ad, we paraphrase that with the words Ulachaparas Pasha and the forgiveness of sins. We add in our prayer the paraphrase of the words that Chizkiyo said when he realized the mistake that he had made, because all too often we make the same mistake. And that's why, in a Jewish leap year, from Cheshvan through Adar Sheni, second Adar, which are the months during which the de de deliberation about adding a month need to occur, when so many years ago, a terrible mistake was made in the decision process, leading to disastrous results from which we suffer Till today, we remind ourselves that we need to follow God's commands. And we cannot substitute our own judgment, our own priorities of what is important and what is secondary, 
and we add two words to this Rosh Chodesh prayer of our hopes for the coming month. Ulechaporas posha. Just like Chizkiyahu prayed for himself. Now please understand me. We can be religiously creative. We can innovate. We can evolve. We can re-engineer. But only within the structure of halacha, of Jewish law. Because noble ends cannot be reached by prohibited means. It's very subtle. Two words said less than a dozen times about every three years. But with those few words, we recall an entire disastrous episode in our long-ago history. And we review the critical lesson it holds for our religious lives every day. My friends, I want to wish you a great evening. Chazak, be strong. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And I'll say this with so much more meaning now. I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.